before we get into our message and our final one for this morning, I just want to recap what we've been looking at the past two mornings. Have, have, who's been here every morning? Who's been here every morning? Okay, most of you have. And um, the first morning we looked at the message of what? Still too early. The first morning we looked at the message of fear God and what it means to have that um, obedience without understanding even the reason why. And we looked at this in the context of obedience, yes, but to the point of evangelism and outreach and how when we give Bible studies, when we reach out to people, it balances our Christian life. And when we mingle our lives with people, it helps us to know what are the important things in the Bible and what are not. Not to say that there are unimportant things in the Bible, but that sometimes we major in the minors and we focus so much on these things because we hear, but we don't do, we don't apply. But then yesterday, we also went to look at the tree of life and how we can be a tree of life in the place that we are living in, in Canada. And we looked at the reason why. Why is it that souls aren't being brought to Jesus? Souls aren't being won? Why is it that Canada is still a dark place? It's quite simple. What was it, friends? It's because people aren't having their personal devotions. And you'll notice that yesterday, if you remember the quotes that I put off, uh, put up on the screen, I actually only focused on two parts of our personal devotion. This morning, we'll be looking at the third. Those two parts that I, I mentioned were prayer and a great emphasis. And we, we hear and we know about prayer, but, you know, really, people spend so little time in prayer. I find that if we learn to pray for people in general, we don't have much to say, but when we focus on individuals and praying for people by name, we have a lot to say. Not that you're gossiping about them, but you know them by name and you pray for specific things. Our prayers are more powerful. And we also looked at another part of our personal devotion. Do you remember what it was? Come on now. I said a lot of things. I'm sorry. That means I said too much. I'm going to make sure I stick with one point this morning. Um, it was self-examination. Many of us fail to look at our own lives at the end of each day. We're not thinking about our lives because by the end of the day, we've, gone so we've done too much that we were just exhausted and we fall in bed and we're gone. And we go through each day not realizing our own faults expecting for a preacher or somebody to tell us our faults, but we can actually be perfectly acquainted with our own lives. As we start each day, as we go throughout our lives, we can do a lot for ourselves to improve our own lives. And this is what we need to do in our personal devotion. And this morning, before we get into the message, I just want to ask that you please bow your heads once more for word of prayer. Lord, thank you for bringing us here to this point in time, waking us up early. And as we're about to open the Bible, Lord, to read this morning, please give us a clear and clarity of mind. Give us attentive ears. Help us, Lord, not to feel tired. May you cast Satan out of this room, Lord, that you will have free reign to our hearts this morning. Please bless us with your Holy Spirit. 
and may your holy angels guide us and guard us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I always thought as a kid, if I sat far back, the preacher would never see me. I used to remember I brought, in Australia, I'm sure they did this in the U.S. and maybe here in Canada as well, I used to play with basketball cards. I used to collect basketball cards. And I remember back in 1993, I don't know why this is still remains in my mind so vividly, I was standing outside with my friends outside of Sabbath school, and we were looking at this basketball card of Shaquille O'Neal. Do you know who he is? I had this rare one card that had three successive pictures of him dunking, and it was a valuable card. It was worth $20 back then. It's probably worth more now if I kept it. But I remember that I would always sit in the balcony and I would put my hands down on my lap and look at the cards like that. And then I realized when you stand up here, you see everything. <laughs> you see when people are tired, you see what they're doing, you see when they're twiddling with their thumbs, you see when they're disinterested, you see when they're trying to get away with something. You see everything from this vantage point. But Paul, his experience was no different from ours. In fact, if you will come with me to Acts chapter 26, Paul had a very, very interesting experience here. In Acts chapter 26, he was a prisoner at this time, and he was called out of his prison to entertain a king. And it didn't matter where Paul was and who, or who he was facing and what position he was in. Here was the prisoner standing before the king, just him and the king. And he's going through his message and he's preaching and he's sharing about the love of Jesus and, and what Christ had done to him. And he comes towards the end of his sermon and he notices the countenance on this king's face. He realizes that what he's saying is making an impact on his life. And so we come to 20, chapter 26 and verse 27. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that you believe. He said it with a certainty. He knew that as he was going through his sermon. King Agrippa, his heart was being cut, it was being, it was being convicted, he could see the countenance on his face changing, and he said, I know that you believe. And he was making this amazing appeal. But then Agrippa says unto him, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul, you were this close. <laughs> you were this close. But you know, friends, almost is not good enough. I want to look at this almost Christian this morning, and you will see how it will tie into our devotional life and what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because this is the reason why we're here. I believe you're here because you want to serve, but friends, I pray that none of us have this experience of an almost Christian this morning because I tell you, Jesus warns us of almost Christians in the last days. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. I want to show you this. Almost Christians exist in the last days. Matthew 24, it's the very first words that come out of Christ's mouth after the disciples come to him to show him the temple. They come to say, look, look, look at this beautiful temple. 
And then Christ replies later, after he shocks them with the message that this beloved temple of theirs would be destroyed, Christ then says in verses 4 and 5, Take heed that no man, what? Deceives you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Yes, many times we apply this to false Christians, but really, many are going to come at the end of time saying, I am a Christian. Because the name signifies character. So many are going to come in the character of a Christ, Christian, and shall deceive many. Friends, almost Christians would exist in the last days. Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, he said, in the last days, there's going to be perilous times. Men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy. This long list, and then he comes down to that, that verse 5 where he says, they're going to have a form of godliness. They're going to look like a Christian. They're going to act like a Christian. They're going to do the things that a Christian does, but they do not have the power that a Christian ought to have. False Christians, or should I say almost Christians, will exist in the last days, friends. And today we're going to look at the almost Christian, and in looking at the almost Christian, we're going to understand what it means to be an altogether Christian, what it means to be a true servant of Christ. Please come with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. What is an almost Christian? That we may be an altogether Christian today. Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. The Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Friends, where do you find people that say, Lord, Lord? I cannot hear you. Church. Church. Anywhere else? Your mind's churning 100 miles an hour. What, what, what do you mean, anywhere else? Very simple. It's called ECYC. It's called GYC. <laughs> it's called GC. And every C out there, there are so many, I can't even fit them on my hand. A-Y-C and W-Y-C and S-E-Y-C and S-W-Y-C and E-C-Y-C. Lord, Lord. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Verse 22, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name? There's the preacher. That's me. And in thy name cast out devils. There's the healer. Med students, nurses, doctors. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Wow. This person that came to Jesus, he did not only preach, but he healed. He did many things. And last night, we looked at this, the preaching and healing ministry of Jesus. 
But look what Christ says. Verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, what? I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. You can preach and not know Jesus. But actually, that's wrong. You see, in John 17, 3, we're told that life eternal is to what? Know God, know Christ. But the question is, do you, no, it's not do you know Jesus. The question that we should be asking ourselves today is does God know you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. Oh, yeah, I know that person. Yeah, I know Mark Finley. Yes, yes, I shook hands with him. The question is not about whether you know Christ. The question you should be asking yourself this morning is, does he know you? Because all these people are doing wonderful works. They're healing in the name of Jesus. They're preaching these powerful sermons. I hope they are. But yet Christ said, I never knew who you were. What a dreadful thing to hear at the end of day. You've been sacrificing your life. You've been giving your heart to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. You've been spending time coming to these youth conferences. You've been preaching and healing. And yet Christ, at the end of the day, says, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. What? You workers of iniquity. This is an almost Christian, friends. But what was the dividing line between the almost Christian and the altogether Christian? Let's go back to verse 21. What was it? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but what? He that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. So let's put it simply. The almost Christian does not do the will of the Father. The altogether Christian does do the will of the Father. Are you with me? All right? Now let's go to understand what is the will of God or the Father's will for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. And friends, it doesn't get any clearer than this. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, the Bible says, this is the will of God. It doesn't get any clearer, friends. It doesn't say it any more explicitly than in this verse. This is the will of God. What? Even our sanctification. Sanctification. So, the will of God is our sanctification. So, the almost Christian does not do the will of God. They are not sanctified, and the altogether Christian does the will of God. He is, she is, what? Sanctified. Tell me, what does the word sanctification mean? Set apart. Normally when I preach these things, not many people know what sanctification is, but you are good Bible students. It means to be set apart. Friends, you know, if you are a Christian, you're set apart. Not in a weird sort of way, but you are set apart. You are different. Somebody should have said amen. Oh my. 
You know, sometimes I do talk about outreach and we do have to be more like the people of the world. Not in their sins, but in our effort to reach them. I used to go to outreach door to door in a suit. You might not think that's weird right now, but how would you like a person turning up to your door in a suit? It's weird. It's not set apart. It's just downright weird, friends. <laughs> it's okay to wear jeans and go do outreach for God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to allow the Bible to define what set apart is. <laughs> do not come up with your own human fabrications and raise it higher because this is what everyone else is doing. You know, we have a set of standards in the world that, you know, we just know that as a world. But also on the other side, when we come to these conferences, we have a set of standards that this is what we should do. But friends, you make sure that everything is tested by the Word of God and the spirit of prophecy. Amen. And that's where it ends. Amen. So be it. But what does it mean to be sanctified? How are we set apart? Very simple. John 17, 17. I'm sure I'm not sharing anything new with you this morning. John 17, 17. Let's go over there if you don't know the text. Very short text, but it gives us the clear understanding of what it means to be sanctified so as a result we can do the will of God. Sanctify them what? Through thy truth, thy word is truth. So in other words, the almost Christian He's not doing the will of God. He's not being sanctified. It's because he's not doing what? He's not spending time in the Word of God. He's coming to church, but some people don't know why they come to church. He's keeping the Sabbath, but some people don't know why they're keeping the Sabbath. They do many things for the church and in the church. They're probably a song leader or a piano player or they pray or they preach or they teach the Sabbath school. But friends, church never saved you. Coming to church did not save you. ECYC and coming to these good meetings and hearing these messages and wanting to be a servant of Christ, what a beautiful theme, it does not save you. The almost Christian does not do the will of God. They are not being sanctified. It's because they're not studying the Word of God and using the Word, allowing the Word of God to separate them from the world, and so they become weird. <laughs> Don't become a weird Adventist. Become a peculiar one. Have you had your root experience this morning? Because if you haven't, let me tell you simply, you are an almost Christian. I'm not sharing anything new with you. We've known for hundreds of years that we ought to study the Bible, right? We've known that it's good to pray. It's good to reflect on our life and think, Lord, where did I fall short? I'm not sharing anything new with you this morning. And this morning, I want to look at why it is that we don't study the Bible as we ought to. We know it's good here. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is always so weak. <laughs> I want you to be honest with yourself this morning. 
as I'm honest with myself, why is it that we don't study the Bible? Why don't we spend time in the Word of God? Why doesn't it become a taste of sweetness in our mouth like honey that we can't wait to go and read it every morning? Let's go to John chapter 5 and verse 39. John 5, 39, I quoted this text to you on the first day. Our motivation, if our motivation to live a righteous life is so that we can live forever and avoid the hell's fires of hell, if that is our motivation, you know what? We'll never get to heaven. If you, you know, I, I hear people say it, and I say it myself, I'm so tired of this world. Have you, you, you hear that all the time, right? I can't wait for Jesus to come. Such a good phrase. No more death, sorrow, crying. And the crowd goes, amen, yeah, brother, preach it. But your desire to get into heaven because you are tired of this earth is not enough of a motivation to get you into heaven at the end of time. John 5:39. are you there? You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have what? Eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The Bible tells us about Jesus, who in, as a result gives us what? Eternal life. So when Jesus says you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, is that right? It's not a trick question. Is that right? It is. It is. If you study the scriptures, you will have eternal life, friends. You want to live forever? Study the Bible. Verse 40. And you will not come to me that you might have life. We know where we can find eternal life, but you know what? We don't go to him because we want eternal life. Our motivation to live forever is not enough of a motivation for us to open the Bible every morning and study it and read it and spend time with our Lord and Savior. You know what the problem is? It's verse 41 and 42. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. It's very simple, friends. You don't love Jesus. The almost Christian is not motivated out of love for Christ to do these things. You know, I have never seen yet a Christian who hated Jesus. <laughs> I guarantee you, if I stand out there and interview every person that came to YC, ECYC, and I ask them, do you love Jesus? Everyone will say, yes, of course. But then I bet you if I went out there and stood out there and said, did you study the Bible every morning of ECYC? People begin to squirm. And if you love Jesus, you want to spend time with him this morning. The reason why we don't spend time with him is not because we're tired. It's because we don't love him. We love our sleep more than him. We love socializing with our friends late at night more than him. We love our news and our email more than him. I don't know if you've hooked up to that wireless and you come down here or you even bought in the room. First thing you do is it's so, so easy. I know because I, I, I've experienced this. It's so easy to get up in the morning and check your email on your phone or your iPad. 
We spend time with Christ simply because we love Him. And you know what, friends? We will do outreach because we love Him. We will give Bible study because we love Him. When we see somebody with a bad fruit, that they're not obeying the Sabbath, they're not eating right, or they're not, you know, they're smoking, or they're drinking, or they're on drugs, or whatever it is, and we see these bad things, because we love Jesus and we're spending time with Him, we will do our best to befriend this person so that we can do what? Study the Bible with them. Do you know our greatest need is not preaching? This is the least amount of work you can do. But you know how many people strive to be the next great preacher? So sad. The work that God needs us to do is personal work today. One-on-one -on -one Bible studies. You think you walking through the town there is going to have a big effect on the people as you pray? <laughs> it's not going to have any effect on them unless you start studying the Bible with them. That is how you're going to make them Christian. Not bringing them to church. That's the result of studying the Bible with them. Friends, not doing outreach is a spiritual problem. It's not because we don't have the latest and greatest method it's not because we don't have the greatest evangelist or the most fluent evangelist. God is not looking for fluent people to do His work because somewhere between my mouth and your ears, the Holy Spirit goes like this and He plays with my words and it comes out sweet in your ears. He's not looking for the fluent people. He's looking for those that love Him, that are doing the work with love burning in their hearts. This is the root of all our problems. Simple, isn't it? There's really nothing else to it. So how do we love Jesus? If you've come to this point and you're sitting there and you go, wow, I didn't do my devotion, the preacher's telling me I don't love Jesus, you heard it right. How can I love him? 1 John 4, 8. Another familiar text for most of us. 1 John 4, 8. I've heard this text being used in our conference already. 1 John, 4th chapter, the 8th verse. The Bible says, He that loveth not, what? Knoweth not God. Do you know... If you don't love, you don't know God. For God is love, right? Verse 19. And we love him because what? He first loved us. How did God first love us, friends? How did he first love us? This is not a trick question. I know it's too simple. Sometimes you don't want to answer it. But how did God first love us? He gave his life. He sent his son. Do you know the thing that ought to burn in our hearts? Yes, it should be present truth. But do you know that present truth leads us to precious truth? The precious truth is the cross of Calvary.
it's an endless theme. It, it burns in the hearts of every believer since the beginning of time. It has never changed. The solution for loving God has always been the same. When Abraham had his hand outstretched upon his son, he understood the sacrifice that Christ was going to pay in our behalf, and his heart rang out, God, my God, thank you. Because there was in the thickets a ram, an innocent animal that was to take the place of his son. The cross has been an endless theme, and yet sometimes, or many times I find, especially in present truth places, we leave it out. And we focus on present truth. Present truth is important. But let me tell you, it's precious truth that saves us. Did you know that? Let me give you an illustration of what I mean by present truth versus precious truth. Present truth is the truth for our time. Now, what was the present truth in Noah's day? What was it? Floods coming, right? What was his precious truth? Get in the ark was still present truth because we don't have a message today to get in the ark, right? So it was only relevant for that time. So what was a precious truth that Noah had? Repent. Repent of your sins. Ask God to whitewash away your sins and come into the ark. Do you see how present truth works with precious truth? You must have the two together. What was the present truth in John's day? John the Baptist. What was his present truth? Sorry? I can't hear you. Sorry. The Messiah is coming. Close, because wasn't, weren't they preaching that for a few hundred years as well before that? What was the present truth? It was, behold, the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. you got to repent. Because I am the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the path for this, this Savior to come that he may give us repentance. Present truth working with precious truth. Friends, our day is no different, but I believe we have focused so much on the present truth. And we focus too much on the externals that we forget what really matters. You know, friends, it's important to change how, how you eat. It's important to change how you dress. It's important to put away all those things that are harmful to us. It's important to sleep early. But these things never saved anybody. Because I don't know your heart. And that's why I want to deal with the heart this morning. This is why Ellen White says we should spend a thoughtful hour reflecting upon the life of Christ, but especially what? His closing scenes. That as we behold it, image by image, him going through Calvary, him being struck by a Roman soldier. And yet he didn't say anything. As people reviled him while he's hanging on the cross, God, he says, Father, forgive them. 
but they know not what they do. As we think on these things and we think about the love of Jesus, you know what? Love comes up in our heart. And the taste for spiritual things becomes a thirst in our life. And we spend time with him. And when we spend time with him, when we go throughout the day, we are looking at the people that Christ died for, and we don't just pray for them and have a burden for them and talk to other people about them. We actually go and do something about it because we love them as Christ now loves them. Our problem with why we're still here is just us. It's us. Christ is waiting for his character to be perfectly reproduced in his people, and then he will come again. But until that happens, he cannot pour out the latter rain. The latter rain is when we're going to preach the message with power. The latter rain is when we're going to be transported to all parts of the world and doing miracles and signs that people might come to know Jesus. Our greatest work now is to prepare our hearts and our souls. But you know what that is? How do we prepare? Yes, by reading and spending time in, in, in the Bible and in prayer, but we will never pray for these people and spend time with God and wrestle with Him like Jacob did if we're not doing evangelism. It's a circle that comes full round to square one. The almost Christian does everything for show. He turns up to church out of respect so the people won't talk about him. He gets up on the pulpit and preaches a beautiful message that he spent the whole week, two weeks, thinking about. But his life has no power. Every week, Every Sabbath around the world, we have sermons being preached with people coming to church. But the church is no different. Friends, it's got to start somewhere. God will have his people. He, he will have his people at the end of time. Those that are spending time with him every day. Friends, I want you to consider one last text. Luke chapter 14. Before we close, and I want to share with you a story of mine. Luke chapter 14. Friends, I want you to really think today. I'll really, if you're tired, shake your head. If your neighbor's tired, to smack him and hit him. You're doing them a favor. Massage your cheeks, whatever it is. Just, if you've missed all the whole part before all this, just remember this. Luke 14, verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Christ is not asking us to literally hate him, hate our, our family or ourselves, 
but that he needs to be number one in our lives today. Above food, above friends, above family, above anything that we have on this earth, he needs to be number one. And then it says in verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Isn't that normal? Isn't it? Yes? <laughs> Thank you. One head nodding. Isn't that normal to figure out how much money you have in the bank before you go start building? Sometimes we think it's faith. But it's not. Verse 29, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to what? Mock him. This guy, he began to build, and that's what it says in the, verse, the next verse, saying that this man began to build and he was not able to what? Finish. So the question really at the end of the day that these people are asking him is, why did you what? Why did you start in the first place? Didn't you sit down and think about this before you embarked on this ambitious expedition to go and build this house? Or the next illustration is a king. He's going to war. King, don't you think about this before you go to war? I want you to think. And I want to reason with you. Because I don't want you to waste your time. Seriously. Because in... In Revelation chapter 3, God says, I wish you were hot or cold, not lukewarm. This is the condition of our church today, friends, that we think we are on fire for Jesus, but we're not really. And these people are the hardest to convict because they think they're right. And they have need of nothing. But God says, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were totally in love with me or you hated me because at least then I can do something with you. But when you're lukewarm, it's like, do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Come to church? Okay, I'll come to church. Go to youth conference? Okay, I'll go to youth conference. But he wants you to be on fire or not at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't play church. The only one that ends up being hurt is yourself. I want to reason with you this morning, friends. Count the cost of what it means to be a Christian or don't do it at all. Do you know what I mean? You've just sacrificed three days being here. That's a lot of time. Why do you want to do all this sacrifice and still come short? Because everybody else that sees it, especially those at the end of time that end up in hell with you, they'll look at, oh, what you, what you, the Christian that went to church every week? How did you get to hell? Man, I feel so sorry for you. Because I had fun going to hell. I didn't pay tithe. I didn't give offering. I spent it on a nice car. But you gave tithe, you gave offering, and you still ended up here? Oh, man. Shaking their head. Mocking those who weren't able to finish. Friends, brothers and sisters, Jesus wants to spend time with you this morning. 
He's been speaking to your heart and say, look, you need to go back to your room and pray with me, spend time with me, because this is what it means to be a Christian, to be like Jesus, to be changed into his image. By beholding, you become changed. Count the cost of what it means to be a Christian. You got a, you got a, you're, you're a Christian 70 years. Tell me, how many years of that is going to church? How much? If you live, an average person lives 70 years, how many years is he going to church? 10. Ten. But you've just, you've been here for three days out of seven days. Are you with me? It's more than 10 years. You know you can earn a lot of money in 10 years? You can have a lot of fun in 10 years? If you're not willing to give everything to Jesus, friends, don't go at all. Don't. You're wasting your time and you're destroying the work of God. Because you're going to walk out there with the name of a Christian and people are thinking that's what a Christian is and they're going to say, no, thank you. Because we only have the form and no power. The power is still in the room there. Jesus is still back in the room there waiting for you. I grew up in an Adventist home. At the age of 17, I was baptized, and as all good Adventist churches do, they gave me a new, brand new, big black Bible. <laughs> and I knew the books of the Bible, where they were. Uh, I could find them, no problem. And every week, I would take my Bible to church. You know, that was one of the things that my mother really trained me well in, our whole family. We always brought our Bibles to church. We would never leave without them. And every week I would come back and I'd put the Bible back on the shelf there. Didn't want to damage it. Ready for next week. <laughs> I grew up knowing Jesus, but not knowing him really. It was only at the age of 20, 21, for the, for the first time I began to study the Bible. A situation happened in my life. I. When I, at the age of, let me go back a bit and give you a more, bit more background. At the age of 17, I got into a scholarship course um, at university, paid me 10,000 a year to study IT, computers. I graduated in three years. It was a scholarship course. Every one of us graduated with a bachelor's degree within three years. I came out and started working by the age of 20. I worked with PricewaterhouseCoopers, which was eventually bought over by IBM, the consulting arm. So most people know IBM, right? Anybody here know PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC? Okay, one. Um, I worked for them for a few years, but you see this company, they trained us to, to go to Florida. They trained us over there for two months before we started work with them. And so when I went to Florida, at that time in 2001, I was a youth leader and at my church. And when I went there, I threw everything out the window that I knew was right to do as a Seventh-day Adventist. Began to drink, began to go to the nightclubs, I played golf on Sabbath, 
I went to the Bay Hill International in Florida. For those who know what golf is, you know what I'm talking about. I watched Tiger Woods tee off on a Sabbath morning. I did all the things that I knew I shouldn't be doing as an Adventist. And I came back and I quit the youth ministry and I said, look, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to play church. God, you're either real and I'll go with you all the way or I'm not going to do it at all because I don't want to waste my time. I told myself that when I was at the age of 20. I said, look, I'm either going to follow these things or I'm not. But I have to first figure out whether they're my parents' values or they're really from the Bible. And I had to test whether God was real or not in my life. And that's why for the first time, I picked up the Bible and began to study it and read it. For the first time in my life, I picked up the book Desire of Ages and I began to read it. I never even knew we had a prophet. And it was not because of the lack of education in my home. I just hated reading. I don't know where my mind was those years, seriously. I do not ever remember anything before the age of 20 about what the pastor preached about. I don't remember a single thing. But as of the age of 20, I began to study and I began to read the Bible. And I began to read the spirit of prophecy that my life began to change. I became vegetarian. 2001 was the last time I watched movies. Harry Potter came out. And I was studying Daniel 3. And people were going there and I was asking my friends, I don't know, I don't know what possessed me to ask these things. It must have been the Lord working upon my heart graciously. But I asked my friends, why are you going to watch Harry Potter? Oh, we don't believe in all these things. We just like the special effects. And my, my counselor in my church, we had youth counselors, she said to me, Ben, Daniel and his three friends, they did not bow down but face Jerusalem. They stood straight up. My life began to change. I was in a relationship with a non-Adventist for four and a half years. The hardest thing to do to break up. She sits on the Sydney Executive Conference Committee today. <laughs> God didn't need me to help her. I was in his way. We broke up, she got baptized. Faithful Adventist today. And my life began to change. I went to theology school. I quit my job because I hated it. I found out that because you like playing computers, it doesn't mean that you like working in IT. I quit and I went and I studied Bible and here I am today. And you know, sometimes I'm tempted to think of going back into my old life because it's a better life. It's a better job. It's more money. I have a wife and now I have a daughter. We're planning on having a second kid next year. And I think to myself, Lord, how can I support my family with the money that I earn? It's not enough. And I think and I struggle and I said, Lord, I need to provide for my family first. And you know, when I went to study theology school, as all Asian parents do, they are totally shocked. My dad was from a poor family and so was my mom. And they worked so hard to give us a good education, a good life, a good lifestyle. By the age of 20, I had a car paid off and I invested in an apartment in the city with my brother. Financially, I was doing very well. And my dad couldn't understand it. Ben, why you want to quit IT? Why? Gave you such a good start in life. Why? I couldn't explain it. I just went. 
But a year later, when he saw me and he saw how my life had been changed, I was more polite to him. He was happy. <laughs> and last year, when I was thinking of going back into IT and not do pastoring anymore, my dad was the one that said, Ben, why? <laughs> what are you doing? If you're going back into IT, you shouldn't have left in the first place. Ten years ago, I left. And he's asking me now, why? And I sat back and I thought about it. I was like, Lord, you know what? Have I forgotten the love that was burning in my heart for you 10 years ago? To why I made that decision to quit my job in the first place? And when I consider the path that I have taken 10 years ago, it spurs me on to continue. I don't want to have all this sacrifice for nothing. All my contemporaries back in Australia, they have their families, they have their children, they're earning good money. If I were to go back, humiliating, I'm starting all the way back here at the bottom. But I consider the life that Christ has given me now. And this is what pushes me to go forward. God, I've sacrificed too much now to turn my back on you. I'm not going to waste my decisions that I made 10 years ago. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to commit to you 100%. Friends, you've made a sacrifice by being here at ECYC for three days. Some of you longer, some of you sit on the e-com and you take even more time in planning these events. Most of you are losing sleep, as I can tell by the face. But don't make all this sacrifice in vain. Don't come here and leave the same unchanged, uncommitted. But make a decision today. And make this decision to say, you know what? This is going to be to mark a beginning of a change in my life, which I will never turn back upon. So that you can look back 10 years later and say, because of that decision, I'm going to stay steadfast to what has God has called me at the very beginning. And this decision needs to carry you all the way through. But you got to decide. But you got to be honest with yourself. Friends, I know you love Jesus. That's why you're here. But this morning, I want you to prove to him, not to me. I want you to prove to Jesus that you love him. Because a 99% Christian is a 100% devil. Do you know that? I know the math does not gel and some of you are raising your eyebrows. But a 99% Christian is the most effective tool in the hand of Satan. be a 100% Christian. It's what Brother Lemon was talking about, being perfect. I believe God needs to have a perfect people at the end of time who are totally in love with Him and 100% committed to Him. He needs that today. All He needs from you is a decision. Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. Keep it pure for me, 
because I cannot keep it pure for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak and Christ-like self. It's called surrender, friends. Are you willing to give Jesus 100% of your heart this morning? Are you? Are you willing to give Jesus 100% of your heart? Yes or no? I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm not asking you to stand. God knows your heart. But now prove it. Prove to him that you really love him. Spend that time with him in prayer, in devotion, in Bible study. May this be the sweetest part of our day. And then we will go out to Toronto, and I guarantee you, the membership of this conference will double in a year because of you. But our first work is to seek Him with all of our heart and our soul and our strength and our might. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for loving us first even though we hated you with all our heart. Lord, teach us what it means to love once more. May that love burn within our hearts. May that love come as a water of life springing up that others, as they taste the fruits on our tree, they may be led to thee. So, Father, please bless all of us here as we go back to our rooms to spend time with you, as to contemplate this message, Lord, please change our heart and help us to be fully committed to you today. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.